0: It's almost spring break, yes, two and a half days. As much as you want to be gone, we want you gone too. I love you. You can do it, it's almost here. It's kind of hard to believe that it's already that point in the semester and and I guess before we begin too, can I just say congratulations to our men's and women's basketball teams as well. I know. Men are the GPAC tournament champions, and women are the regular season champions, and we're so excited to support you, yeah, through uh, the next stage in in the tournament. So congratulations, good job, and it's hard to believe we're here, halfway-ish through the semester. We only have this week and then the Wednesday after spring break left in our Godspeed series until we start another one. And And I hope you've enjoyed it so far. I hope you've been journeying with us as we explore what it means to go at the pace of being known. And from the very beginning of the semester, that's been the desire, that's been the hope, to be known as we are, where we are, with the people we are with. To be known by God and others and to know ourselves. And throughout this semester, we've unpacked terms like place and presence and pace and identity and stability. And it's been a journey. There's been a lot to unpack. Some of you have been going through a small group study as well to dig just a little deeper to allow these truths to sink deep into our minds and our hearts and our bodies. It's been a lot, but I hope you're beginning to practice the pace of being known And so let's just stop for a moment and pray before we continue this morning. God, thank you that you are more present to us than we are to ourselves. Would you open our eyes to see you this morning? Would you open our ears to hear your words? And would you open our heart for your spirit to form and shape us into your image for your glory? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Does everyone in the room know who LeBron James is? I hope so. If you don't, that's, it's weird. But he's the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. And wait for it, wait he's the GOAT. Oh, I, hot take, I know better than Michael Jordan. Oh, I know, I said it. Right, He's a basketball player, you probably know him or know about him, but he's also done a lot of philanthropy as well. He's given over $100 million through his foundation. He's provided four-year scholarships to the University of Akron. He started the I Promise School for Kids, and he's donated to the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture, and he's done a lot more. But in 2018, so just a few years ago, LeBron James gave his thoughts on the President of the United States at that time. And in response to these comments, whether you agree with the comments he made or not, um, here's what was said. A particular news outlet on national television told LeBron to shut up and dribble. Maybe you remember this. Translation, you are a basketball player. Nothing less and nothing more play basketball. You don't know what you're talking about. Now in this moment, LeBron James was reduced to his job as a basketball player, to what he does, not who he is. He was reduced to the comments that he made, whether they were right or wrong, to what he said, not who he is. He was reduced to his belief about the president at the time, to an idea that he had, not to who he is. And now, I hope you hear me. This is, this is not a political commentary, but it's an example of what I think we've all felt or experienced before. We've all felt to re- reduced to what you do. Or maybe you felt reduced to a mistake that you've made or the major that you have, or the sport that you play, or the instrument that you play. Maybe you felt reduced to a belief or an idea that you hold. Maybe at Dort you feel reduced to your dating status. Single, engaged, married, whatever it is. Have you ever experienced something like that before? Being more known for all of those things just listed than who you are? Wendell Berry says, abstraction is the enemy, wherever it is found. Reducing a person to an idea they have or mistake they have made is the enemy. Reducing a person to their gender, to their sexual orientation, to the color of their skin, to the money that they make, to the person they voted for is wrong. Because reducing someone to that belittles and demeans. It takes away their humanity. It prevents them from truly being known. And it prevents you and me from truly knowing. And Jesus has a better way. He, his way sees and hears and knows and loves the whole person. Mind, Body, heart, and soul. His way never reduces or demeans. It builds up and encourages. It is the way. The way to to know and to be known. So if you have your Bibles, will you open up to Luke chapter 19? And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning, so just a little bit different. I'm going to read for us the first five verses. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was, a, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Where does Jesus start with Zacchaeus? With his name. He looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus. However, before this, the text tells us that Zacchae- he talks about Zacchaeus's profession, financial status, and his stature. Verse 2 tells us he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. And verse 3 says he was too short to see over the crowd. You see, Zacchaeus worked for the Roman government as the chief tax collector, and he made a killing. He was the richest man in town and the shortest. And he got all his money from taking advantage of the poor, charging them more so he could shave some off the top for himself. He betrayed his own people for his financial gain. And he was hated. He was a traitor. He was a liar. He was a cheat. He was short. He was a tax collector. But Jesus starts with his name. He called him by name. Zacchaeus. Why? Why does Jesus start with his name? In our Godspeed study, this is what Eugene Peterson says. The most important thing in language is the name. Names are the very basic life-giving term in language. Because when you say someone's name, it means something. When someone says your name, it means there's a relationship there, or at least that one is beginning. For example, has has anyone ever called you by name that you didn't expect to know your name? This past weekend at the table, the event we had on campus, my son Zion was playing nine square with a bunch of you, college students. Y'all let him be the, the queen in the middle for like the longest time. And here's what I repeatedly heard. Good job, Zion. Try again, Zion. Here's the ball, Zion. And the whole time I was just looking at my son's face as a dad And each time his name was said, he lit up with the biggest smile I've ever seen. He was just like ear-to-ear cheesing. I think there's some pictures. You can't really fully see it, but he was so excited. I think maybe there's one more, and he's jumping, and he was just so happy. He felt known. He felt loved by people bigger than him and older than him and cooler to him. I think he's pretty cool, but he probably thinks y'all are cooler. He came alive because of it. You said his name when you could have asked him to leave. Because if we're honest, five-year-olds are terrible at nine-square. And the flip side is also true. Have you ever been called the wrong name? Or had your last name mispronounced? I know that happens here all the time. You van whatever it is. Or the classic, "Hey man." hey, brother, hey, buddy, a.k.a. I don't know your name or remember it, but I want to appear personal to you. That's what that means. Anyone? i probably say it to you. I'm sorry. Tell, and next time I say, hey, man, tell me your name. Please, I want to know it. How did that feel? And I know you brush it off and let it go because it's a part of daily life, but it probably hurts a little. You want people to know your name because names personalize. Names help us resist the urge to reduce people to an idea that they hold or a mistake that they've made or their nine square ability, and on and on and on. And I think this is one of the reasons why the Bible is full of names names of places, names of people, genealogy after genealogy after genealogy, names of families. Because names personalize. And, and this story that we call scripture is about specific people and specific families and specific places all with names. This book is personal. And if you read it, you begin to see that God calls a lot of people by name. Abraham, Abraham. Genesis 22. Jacob, Jacob, Later in that same book, Moses, Moses, we unpacked that a few weeks ago. Samuel, Samuel, and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Peter, Peter, in Luke 22. Name after name after name. And I wonder, what is your response when you hear your name called? Here's how Zacchaeus responded i going to read for us verses 5 through 7. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Zacchaeus responded like my son Zion. Hearing his name gave him life. Zacchaeus was excited and experienced joy. Jesus knew his name and invited himself over for a meal. However, the text tells us that the people, the Jewish people, were displeased. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. The people viewed Zacchaeus for his sin, for the mistakes that he had made. And honestly, that makes sense. He had cheated them out of a lot. But Jesus doesn't view him that way. Jesus starts with his name. And here's my question to you. When you hear your name, do you experience life and joy because someone knows you and loves you? Or do you experience fear and shame as you brace for, the hearing, for hearing the wrong you've done or the disappointment you've caused? Because, yes, names are supposed to be life-giving. They're supposed to signify a relationship of being seen, heard, known, and loved. But that's not always the case. And I don't want to pretend like it is. Because for some of you in the room... When you hear your name, you tense up, get nervous. When you hear your name, your your heart drops into the pit of your stomach. And you freeze in fear as you wonder, what did I do wrong? What made them mad this time? What mistake did I make? What assignment did I fail? What meeting did I miss? What doubt did they find out that I'm wrestling with? for you, your name is not equated to life, but to shame. Your name is equated to the disappointment that others have in you. Maybe even God's disappointment in you. And if that's you, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry. I'm sorry that if a father or mother Or pastor or friend or coach or teacher or spouse or sibling used your name to reduce you to their own disappointment. Rather than using your name as someone who's a child of God. An image bearer of the living God. Someone whose identity is very good. Your name is more than a way to express disappointment. Your name is more than a way way to share the mistakes you already know you made. That's not the way Jesus says your name. That's not his way. That's the way of the accuser. The adversary, not the advocate, not Jesus. Jesus has a different way. God has a different way. God did not reduce Aaron to his worship of the golden calf, but God saw him as a priest of the almighty God. God didn't reduce Rahab to a prostitute, but put her in the family line of Jesus. Jesus didn't reduce Paul to stoning Stephen, but he knocked Paul off his horse and called him his own. And then there's Peter. I relate to Peter. Jesus did not reduce Peter to his denial, but restored him, calling him by name. Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Pastor, my people, lead my church. Peter, follow me. Jesus does not reduce you to a mistake you've made, a sin you've committed, an injustice that's been done to you. He does not reduce you to what you do, what you have, or what others think of you. When Jesus calls you by name, when he calls me by name, it's to restore and to redeem. It's to build up and encourage. It's to express delight in you. His son. His daughter. Jesus delights in you. He's not disappointed with you. And he wants to know you. And when Jesus says your name, it changes you. It transforms you. It gives you life. Look at what it did to Zacchaeus in verses 8 and 9. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name, eats with him, and now Zacchaeus gives 50% of his wealth to the poor and repays all the people he's cheated four times more than he took. Zacchaeus is changed. He is transformed. And Jesus notices and says, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Zacchaeus has shown himself to be a true child of God. That's who he is. All because Jesus started with a name. Now imagine with me just for a couple of minutes... If Jesus started in a different place. What if Jesus started with Zacchaeus' job or mistakes? Let's recreate the scene. Zacchaeus, he's excited to see Jesus. This rabbi he's heard so many things about. So he climbs up the tree because he's shorter than everyone else. And excitedly, Jesus lays, or Zacchaeus lays eyes on Jesus. He sees the rabbi in a distance. And then Jesus approaches and gets closer and closer. And Jesus is right under the tree and Zacchaeus is just ready to see what Jesus does and says. And then he looks, Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, hey, tax collector, get down from there. See all the people around you? You stole from them. You cheated them. They don't have enough money or food for their next Meal, and you have all the riches in the world. Give their money back, you thief. How could you do that, Zacchaeus? And you know what? Jesus has every right to respond that way. But he doesn't. How do you think Zacchaeus would have responded to that? I know how I would. How would you? I would defend myself. I would justify my actions. Because when I feel attacked by someone, even if it's true, even if I'm wrong and the other person is right, if I feel attacked by them, my walls come up and my defenses come up. I begin to attack back to make sure that I do not feel like I'm the problem. And if you want to get just a little deeper in this, at least in my experience, and maybe some of you can relate, is that I do that because there's a lie that I came to believe about myself at a young age, which is I am the problem. Through various experiences and through various reasons, I've come to realize that I believe the lie that I am the problem. And I still believe it at times today. And so today, when I feel reduced to a mistake I made or feel attacked because of something I did, I attack back. I defend myself to the end, no matter the cost, even if I know I'm wrong, because I can't deal with the shame and reality that I am the problem. It's too painful, it hurts too much, it's overwhelming. Some people crawl in a hole with their shame and some people attack and lash out. I'm this one. But it's all shame. But do you know what I'm learning? Really slowly. Is that Jesus is a safe place to fall. When it appears or feels like no one else is, Jesus is a safe place to fall. Because with Jesus, I don't have to defend or justify. He's not attacking me, ever. He never starts with my mistakes. He starts with my name, and I can just be me. Mistakes and all. Because he calls me by name, and he calls me son, and he says, Sam... You are not the problem. Sin is. And guess what? I am the solution. I will catch you every single time and you do not have to be afraid to fall again. Because I know in the past someone didn't catch you. I know someone in the past reduced you to a mistake or a sin or a problem and blamed you. I'll catch you every time. And I don't know if that's your story. I don't know if you reflect back and and think of a moment when you weren't caught, when you weren't safe, when you couldn't be yourself, when you had nowhere else to go. And here's what I want to tell you Jesus is a safe place to fall. Every time. Names cut through our defenses. Names break down our walls. And Jesus starts with your name. And that's what transforms. Can I just tell you too? Sin is its own worst punishment. You don't need to condemn a person for their sin. They're already condemning themselves for it. You just need to say their name, just like Jesus says ours. That's what will cut to the heart. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Condemnation doesn't work. Start with a name. And when you do, I believe transformation will begin to take place. When you start with a name, when you recognize that Jesus says your name and starts with your name, and then you begin to start with other people's names, man, walls are going to begin to break down. Repentance is going to be practiced in the church. Unity will take place. We'll become one just as Jesus' final prayer before his death was, that they will be one. Man, and people will be seen, heard, known, and loved as Whole people. That's the power of a name. So we're going to sing one more song. But there's also going to be an opportunity to respond during it as well. On the front of the stage here and also on the back where you put your programs if you come to choir and band and all that in the back. So you don't have to walk all the way up the front. There's name tags with some sharpies. And I want you to write your name. On it. I want you to wear it the rest of the day. And, and here's what it is. It's really for two reasons. One, it's a declaration that you are more than the mistake you've made or things that you do. You're more than the exams you have left before spring break. Make this, writing your name and wearing it the rest of the day, make it a declaration that you're worthy to be called by your name because Jesus calls you by your name. And then here's the second reason is maybe just gives people an opportunity to call you by your name. Right? What if the person you say hi to every day, but you can never remember their name, you know, the person you say, hey man, hey buddy, whatever, whatever that word is for you, what if you called them by your name as you pass in the hall? What if they called you by yours? So we're gonna sing, Endure It, Let's Be a Community. That starts with a name. So if you feel the spirit stirring or God stirring, I'll invite you to stand up for this last song. But I encourage you, come forward, write your name down. In the back you can do the same. But let's be a community that starts with our name.